We have been in our Psalm Song series. This is our third week. Um, and what this is, is if this is your first time here with us or first time watching, what we do is take a secular song and then we tie it into a psalm in the Bible. And what's good about that is, as Pastor Joe said, when you're riding down the road and you hear this song going on in the future on the radio or on your Spotify shuffle, you'll be like, hey, we did a psalm songs thing about that. I know this psalm. I remembered scripture. That's awesome. That's a great feeling. So it's good to, for something for you to be able to recall and to uh, revert back to God even in the most awkward of places in your car driving. So um, if you like this song, uh, you, some of you may know it. Just sit back and enjoy. Lately I've been, I've been losing sleep Dreaming about the things that we could be Baby, I've been, I've been praying hard Said no more counting dollars, we'll be counting stars We'll be counting stars Sing in the river, the lessons I've learned. Take that money, watch it burn. Sing in the river, the lessons. 
lessons I learned. Take that money, watch it burn. Sink in the river, the lessons I've learned. Take that money, watch it burn. Sink in the river, the lessons I've learned. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Good job, band. Wow, that is so much fun. I didn't know if Michael would love me or hate me for choosing that song, but um, that worked out pretty well, I'd say. Uh, well, hey, good morning. Uh, if I haven't met you already, my name is Jeff. I'm on the pastoral staff here. Uh, Pastor Joe and Janice are on their way home from a week of vacation, so I get to be with you, and thank you for that. Um, before we get started today, I do want to take a second just to say Happy Father's Day. Um, because today I'm not necessarily tailoring to Father's Day or anything like that, but I do want to acknowledge it. Um, I think fatherhood is really near and dear to God's heart. I think it matters a lot. Um, an old friend and mentor of mine used to say that if God wanted to be known as anything but a father, he would have sent anyone but a son. Um, so if God wanted to be known as a political leader, he could have sent a senator or a governor, or, you know, what have you. If he wanted to be known as a military leader, he could have sent a soldier or something like that. But God wanted to be known as a father. So he sent Jesus, and Jesus is his son. Um, I was looking at some stats on fatherhood this week uh, leading up to this, and I want to share a few of them with you. Um, more than one in four children grow up without a father. Um, with a father in the home, children are less likely to be mistreated. They perform better in school. Adolescent boys are less likely to carry guns and deal drugs. Mother's parenting stress is reduced. Uh, children without a father are 47% more likely to live in poverty. Boys who grow up without a father are more likely to become absent fathers themselves and repeat the cycle. Um, behavioral and psychological problems decrease when there's a father around, on and on down the line. But suffice it to say, fathers, just by being home, you're changing culture, and you're changing it for the better. So good job, fathers. I commend you. That is awesome. Um, so good job. Uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Now I'm going to pivot because we're going to go actually into the sermon now. So um, I love that song that you heard this morning. Um, when, we, when I was told that we were doing psalm songs and I have to choose a popular song, I was like, well— most of what I listen to either doesn't have words, or if it has words, you can't understand them, or uh, you've probably never heard of the band. So I had to uh, kind of dig deep and find one, but I love One Republic, and I love that song because it's the very first song on the album. Um, I know we don't necessarily listen to like 
whole entire albums anymore, but if you hit play on this one, uh, it just hits you right off the bat. No instrumental, no first verse, nothing like that. They're just saying, listen up, we're going to get into it. And um, so that's kind of how the psalm today starts too. Um, So I want to go ahead and read it for you. I'm going to read the whole thing. So bear with me for just a minute. We're in Psalm chapter 49. It'll be up here on the screen with me. It says, hear this, all peoples. Give ear, inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. So he's saying, listen up. I got something to say. Everybody needs to hear it. It's not reserved for a few people. Everyone needs to hear what I'm about to say. He says, my mouth will speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble? That's our big idea. That's, his, that's the point he's trying to get to. He says, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. In other words, you can't pay God off to stay here a little longer. He says, uh, for, for he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for shield. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in shield with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of shield, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. So let me ask you this morning, what are you afraid of? What makes you lose sleep? What goes on and on in your head when you're you're lying down at night? What are your times of trouble? I think for a lot of us, um, we can divvy these up into one of two categories. For some of us, it's, it's what is going to get me? What's going to catch up with me? Am I going to get sick? Am I going to get hurt? Am I going to be heartbroken? Am I going to be disappointed? Am I going to be caught? Am I going to be held responsible for something that I did way back or anytime recently? Am I going to be found out? Am I going to be exposed for who I am or for who I'm not, for what I'm good at or for what I'm not good at? And then sometimes we ask, what am I never going to get? We ask, you know, what if I stay single for the rest of my life? What if I'm not able to start a family? What if I never get out of debt? What if I never get into the career field I'm looking for? What if I don't have enough money? What if I don't have enough food? What if people don't remember me? What if life isn't fair to me? But I want you to see something. When the body of the psalm begins, so after he's given this whole, you know, hear this, everybody, listen up. He asks the question. 
Now, I did a, a really quick kind of cursory search of the, of the book of Psalms, and I, I, just, I went to Bible Gateway, and I typed in these different words, because we have who, what, where, when, why, and how questions, right? Well, there are about 20 whys in the Psalms, so that's one every seven and a half Psalms. We have 10 or 15 uh, what questions, and then when I searched who, I got over 400, so I stopped there. Um, but I want you to see this. As we're in this series, you know, dating back to when Joe started it, all the way through when we end, what I love about the book of Psalms is Psalms shows us that it's okay for us to ask questions. It's okay for us not to know. We can ask ourselves questions like, why should I fear? Whom shall I fear? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? We're allowed to try to pep ourselves up and, and try to get to the bottom of what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. But not only that, we're also allowed to ask God questions. We can ask God questions like the one in Psalm 22 where he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it feels like you have. It feels like you're not around. We can ask, How long, O oh Lord? I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and I've been asking you to change the situation. I've been asking you to intervene. When are you going to do it? How long are you going to keep me waiting? Or we can ask, like Pastor Janice was preaching on last week, where shall I go from your spirit? It's funny, I think sometimes we're asking, God, where are you? And other times we're asking, God, can I get away from you ever? Um, but when we go through life, we're going to ask these questions. The beauty of the Psalms is that they're a reflection of life. We have three different types of Psalms. We have hymns for when everything is just going fine and dandy. We have laments for when life is hard, for when people have hurt us, for when we're frustrated with ourselves, when we're frustrated with God. And we have Psalms of Thanksgiving as well, where God brings us out of something and we give him praise for it. But that's kind of the cycle of life, right? Things stay the same, we're hurt. We, we have triumph, we experience victory, pain, stasis, triumph. It's kind of the cycle. Things always happen this way. And so trouble is going to come. And so the psalmist is asking himself, why should I fear though? Let me unpack that. Why should I be afraid? Why should I be like everyone else when trouble comes to me? The question for us is how do we have peace in the time of trouble? When the psalmist asks this question, when he asks, why should I fear? He's understanding that that's how most people or most things react when they're afraid. You know, you always hear it said that um, snakes or spiders or things in nature, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. And when they lash out and they attack you, it's because you threatened them. It's because you made them nervous. And I think a lot of times we can be the same way, right? When, we're, when we see times of trouble, we're trained to defend ourselves. We're trained to lash out. We're trained to react. And most of the time, we react in fear. In other words, fear is a natural response to trouble. It's not necessarily the right response to trouble, but it's a pretty rational one, right? It's normal to freak out when someone's got it better than you. It's normal to freak out when somebody else got the job or the promotion. It's, it's normal to, to feel wronged and bitter when someone tells a lie about you or someone gets ill or speaks ill of you or someone gets ahead of you by dishonest means. It's, it's normal to be fearful when the future looks bleak. It's normal to freak out about money. It's normal to freak out about having the things you need. It's normal for us to ask why do things seem to be going well for these people? They don't deserve it. Why are things going hard for me? I don't think I deserve that, right? We ask that question. Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? 
But if there's anything that we've learned in the last few months, it's that life just isn't fair. And I know that that is a really reductionistic way of looking at things sometimes, and it would never be what I would want to leave someone with. I don't just want to look at someone in the eye and say, well, sorry things are going that way, but life's not fair. See ya. A worldwide pandemic isn't fair. Having normal life interrupted isn't fair. Losing your job or your business with the virus and because of the, you know, all the economic fallout of it, it's not fair. It's not fair that we can't go see our families. It's not fair when we can't get together with people and celebrate things that need to be celebrated. It's not fair. Racial injustice of any kind, to any degree, it's wrong and it's not fair. The rooting and, sorry, the looting and riots um, and, and the circumstances leading up to them, they're not fair. None of it's fair. And see, when we see something unfair, there's something in us that's, that's designed by nature to try to set it right. And that's because we're created in the image of a God who is just and who is good. And so oftentimes it's with good intentions that we want to fix the wrongs in our world. <clears throat> but at its worst, in an attempt to, th- to swing things back to being fair, things get even messier. Right? It seems like, you know, if, if someone gets slighted or neglected, then the only way to make it fair is for someone else to get slighted or neglected. If someone gets hurt, it only seems fair to hurt someone else in response. And if you get hurt, it only seems right that the universe owes you one, right? That you get to cheat someone else. You get to step over somebody else to get what you want, to make things fair for you. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and at some point, if you don't do some eating yourself, you're just going to get eaten. One of my uh, favorite movies of all time is called The Tree of Life. And at the beginning, one of the characters gives a monologue, and she is outlining what she calls the way of nature and the way of grace. Grace, she says, doesn't try to please itself. It accepts being slighted, forgotten, and disliked. It accepts insults and injuries. But nature only wants to please itself, get others to please it too. It likes to lord it over them, to have its own way. And this is the part that cuts me deep. It says, it finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it. You know people like that? Are you ever someone like that? I can be that way. In other words, it's a habit The way you respond to things, you create habits for yourself. So if you fear in times of trouble, if you you are looking out for number one in times of trouble, chances are you're going to do that in other times as well. This psalm is about those two paths and, and, and the people that walk them and what happens to them. On one path, you have those who trust in their own ability, their own wealth, their own strength. When it says their riches or their wealth, sometimes what it's referring to there is your ability to, to make things happen. Right? So someone who's got all the right friends, all the right connections, all the right resources, they just have their ducks in a row, and they can make things happen. They can change their own circumstances. They do what's natural, what's normal, what makes sense in their mind. One tries to get ahead, to get even. The other path chooses not to fear, not to extort, not to cheat anybody, not to step over anybody, but just to trust God. And the psalmist, again, is saying, Why should I fear in times of trouble? Why should I carry on this cycle? Why should I do 
what everyone else tells me to do, what the world tells me to do. He's saying, I'm not sold on doing that. I'm not sold on just doing what I'm told. I'm not sold that I have to react the exact same way that everybody else does. You know, the Bible says twice, actually, in the book of Proverbs, that there is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death or it leads to destruction. And in the psalm, the writer says in verse 13 that this is the path of those who have foolish confidence. They're being led like sheep to Sheol, that death will be their shepherd, that the upright will rule over them in the morning. Their form will be consumed and they will have no place to dwell. And why does he call that the path of foolish confidence? If you back up, it's because he says, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. You can't pay God off with your stuff, with your achievements, with your accomplishments, with the type of person you are. You can't do anything to convince God to let you stay on this ball of dirt a little longer. There's nothing we can do for that. A couple weeks ago, um, if you were here for the second service, Pastor Joe uh, opened his message by asking, when you stand before God and God asks you, why should I let you in? There's only one answer for that. There's only one right answer. There's plenty of wrong answers, but there's only one that's right. And the answer, of course, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks for me. That's it. That's the only right answer. That's the only thing God's going to see in that day. A famous hymn, one of my favorites, starts by saying, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I was thinking about that, that song coming into this week, and I thought, why didn't he say, my hope is built on nothing more? Right? Well, the, the, the difference is, when you say, my hope is built on nothing more, then you have Jesus' blood and righteousness down here. But for some reason, we're not, try to, we're not supposed to try to do anything other than that. We're, you know, we can do all the good stuff we want, but I'm not supposed to hope in anything more than that. So why would I, why would I live any differently because of that? But if you switch the wording and you say, my hope's built on nothing less, then all of a sudden you see that Jesus's blood, his righteousness is the thing that God notices the most. It's the thing, it's the only thing that God will see and everything under it doesn't mean a thing. The Bible says all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And it's not like a rag after you change your oil. It's a different type of rag, but I'll keep it PG and not tell you what that means. Um, that's all there is to it. And the reason why is this. You and I will leave everything behind. Everything. It says it right there in verse 17. It says, when he dies, he will carry nothing away. And, you know, there's no secret interpretation of this passage that says that, oh, because I trust in God, I get to take my stuff with me. That's not, that's not what it is. For better or worse, whether you like it or not, you're going to leave everything you have behind. And that's hard. That's opportunistic. And that's optimistic. And let me, let me break it down for you. So, first of all, it's a hard saying because it means that everything that we have, everything that we ever earn, everything that we ever do is going to be left here. You know, um, I'm really, really fortunate to have gotten a new car and a new house this year. Um, but if I go home today and something happens and I just plots on the way home, I don't get to take that with me. My house isn't the mansion that Jesus is preparing for me in heaven. It's not the same thing. So everything I have here will just go to my wife. 
My wife gets to enjoy my car. My wife gets to enjoy my house, my book collection, my movie collection, my music, everything that I have, every cent in our bank account will all go to her. It doesn't come with me. None of that. But hey, you'll leave everything behind. And that's an opportunity for us because people will remember us. But the question is, how are you going to be remembered? Are you going to be remembered for being stingy? Are you going to be remembered that, you know, I I, I tried to reach out to Jeff like a billion times. I tried to get him to come over to my house. I tried to call him. I tried to text him, but he never texted me back. Or are people going to remember that you're kind, that you're available, that you were generous, that you gave of yourself, that you opened your life to other people? Will they see that you realized you had absolutely nothing to lose? because you can't take it with you. So why not invest in people in what matters? And hey, in case you missed it, you're gonna leave everything behind. All of your failures, all of your flaws, all of your idiosyncrasies and your imperfections, everything that you're not good at, you get to leave that behind. What's holding you back? What's keeping you from living? Do you think that you're not smart enough or talented enough? Do you think that you're not old enough or young enough? Do you think that you're not smart enough? Whatever it is, fill in the blank for you. What are you not blank enough? And then know that that's not true because you get to live with the power of Jesus in you. Here's what Paul says about this in Romans 8 uh, verses 20 and 21. He says, creation was subjected to futility I hear that part in Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, everything here, it's bound to break. It's bound to decay. Everything is bound to break down. We're just on this massive death cycle. Everything is going down. He said, but he says that we, those who know Christ, have the first fruits of the Spirit, and we groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, in case you haven't heard it yet, you'll leave everything behind. And the promise of the gospel is that that's a very good thing. We believe that God will one day make everything new. There will be a new heavens. There will be a new earth. You know, life will be the way it was meant to be. Everything will be perfect. No more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more dying. We get to live forever with Jesus, and we'll do it in a new body. One that doesn't ache, one that, you know, doesn't get sore, one that doesn't, well, hopefully I'll need naps because I like naps. It's, you know, the closest to heaven I get, but uh, right now. Um, But for now— as Paul says, our outer self is wasting away. It's that death cycle. But our inner self, it's being renewed day by day. So we get to know God a little bit more every single day. And as Pastor Joe has said over and over and over again in the last couple of months, staying on the planet is not the goal. To live is Christ. Paul said. And when the psalm writer here wrote this, he didn't know who Jesus was yet, but he got the idea. He's taking all of his eggs and he's looking at all of his baskets and he's saying, okay, when troubled troubled times come, where are my eggs going to be the most effective? 
Will it be in my stuff? Will it be in my riches? Will it be in my, you know, all, all of the stuff on this side? Or will it just be in God? He's rearranging it and he's saying, I'm just going to put all my trust in God because God will deliver me. He will ransom my soul and he will deliver me from the power of Sheol. Ransom is an Old Testament concept, which essentially means to pay a price to deliver from captivity or to, to deliver from the penalty of sin. He's saying, God will take care of me when the time comes. God will speak for me. God will defend me. God will receive me. And he doesn't say God will love me. God will receive me because, you know, I, I, I have been the best Christian and I have kept the law the best and I have given the most tithe and I have given the most sacrifices and I've done it just the right way and I followed all the rules and I did everything the way I was supposed to and I held my mouth just right and I put one foot in front of the other and all that. No, it's nothing like that. He just says, God will receive me. So I'm not going to worry. You know, I, um, I think in analogies sometimes, and the problem with analogies is that, is that at some point they all break down. Um, it, there's no perfect analogy for anything, but bear with me for a second, if you will, um, because this makes me think of if you were to go bungee jumping. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never been bungee jumping ever, um, but let's imagine that you and I were going bungee jumping. And we have a choice. We can let the professional, the guy who's guiding us or coaching us or whatever you call that guy, you can let him put your harness on and connect everything the way it's supposed to and all of that. And there is a 100% guarantee that you are going to be just fine. Your rope is not going to snap on the way down. You're not going to snap back too strong. You're not going to bust your head open. Nothing like that. You're going to be fine. Or you can do it yourself. But if you do it yourself, you don't get any help. Now, it breaks down because some of you are probably smart enough to figure that out. But me personally, um, I don't even know how to spell harness. Um, and anytime I see like a dog harness, I don't know really how they work. But suffice it to say, what I'm getting at is that I would much sooner have the professional do it. I would want that assurance that everything is going to be okay. But here's the deal. Even when I jump off, it's still going to be a thrill. I'm still going to have adrenaline pumping through my veins. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to cry. I'm probably going to scream. It's going to be a heck of a ride. And that's kind of like life is. So the psalmist is never saying trouble's not going to come. He's just saying, what am I going to do? And why should I react that way when it does come? Jesus guaranteed trouble. So there are going to be things that happen to us that we don't deserve. There are going to be things that happen to us that make us cry, laugh, sweat, bleed, hurt, suffer. Trouble will come. It's a promise. There, there are things that we're going to want really badly that we're not going to get. And there are going to be things that we were hoping to avoid that we can't help getting. And it's not necessarily going to be a fair. But our hope in the gospel is that our pain is momentary. It's not insignificant. But it's not forever either. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 18. He says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. In other words, it's only going to get better. And the, the, the thing that we're going to inherit, it's so good, I shouldn't even say it in the same sentence as my suffering, as my pain, as the hard times in life. I mentioned earlier that this psalm is essentially about two types of people. One type tries to get on on their, sorry, tries to get on, um, on on their own ability, their own ability to make things happen or what they've earned. 
They, they look out for themselves and themselves only. It's the way of nature. But the last verse of the psalm says this, man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. And I don't know about you, but I don't really want to be like that. Uh, you know, it, I, a, a couple weeks ago, I was sitting in my living room and I looked outside the window and there was a bunny. And the bunny was just sitting there. And I must have looked back for like five minutes and the bunny just sits here for five minutes. And I turned to my wife and I said, what does a rabbit do all day? You ever think about that? Like you hop around and you eat some grass and you eat some lettuce and then you make some little bunnies and you make a nest to put those bunnies in and you go sleep and you go look for more food and just on and on and on and on and on. But what's the point? What's the meaning? What's the purpose? What do you, what do, you do if that's your life? There is no meaning. There is no purpose. You just live, breathe, eat, work, die. But that's without understanding. It's without understanding that a man will be like the beasts that perish. Now, this is what's called a wisdom psalm. And the truth is that we get a lot of verses on one type of person. You know, we get this whole spiel about, you know, this guy is going to leave everything behind, and he's going to be ruled over in Sheol, and he's not going to have a form, he's not going to have a place to dwell, you know, death will be a shepherd, all this kind of stuff. And we don't get a whole lot on the other type of person. It's all encapsulated in one verse when he says, God will ransom my soul, for he will receive me. So what is it that we have to understand? What's he trying to tell us? See, I think this psalm kind of reads like a warning to say, hey, don't put all your eggs in that basket. But you have to understand something. What is it that we have to understand? I think the key to this psalm is this. No man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly, it says, and can never suffice. But there is a ransom. But we can't give God anything. We can't give God anything at all that's going to make him, you know, love us more or give him a better reason to accept us. It's all in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can pay the ransom for our souls. The psalm says, no man can ransom another, but Jesus says, I've come to be a ransom for many. And in Revelation 5 verse 9, it's sung, by your blood, Jesus— you ransomed people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, or as the psalm says in the beginning, all inhabitants of the world. And I want you to see this, that it says the ransom for one person's life is costly and can never suffice. But when Jesus says, I've come to be a ransom for many, it means that this one thing down here that costs a lot, Jesus paid that over and over and over and over. And so when we say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, we can know that is a very costly thing. The psalm says that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike shall perish and leave their wealth to others. But Jesus, in his death and resurrection, invites us to share his inheritance with us. We can be called children of God, just like Jesus is called the Son of God. Ephesians 1.11 says that in him, in Jesus, we obtain an inheritance, and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. The psalm says that their graves are their homes forever. 
But Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead. He was the first person to get a new body. He was the first person in history to treat the grave as an Airbnb. You stay there for one weekend and got out. The psalm says that like sheep, those who have foolish confidence are are appointed for Sheol and death will be their shepherd. But Jesus has the keys of death and he is our shepherd. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter for us that he could lead us in his life. The psalm says, be not afraid when a man becomes rich. But friends, Jesus for our sake became poor. He left everything that he had. He left, he left heaven. He left endless praise from angels 24-7, 365, where time doesn't even exist. So that's kind of a moot point. But he left community and, and relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And he came down here to live on our little ball of dirt that we call home. He came to redeem us, to ransom us, to rescue us, to restore us to the Father. Happy Father's Day. God's a father. And we take heart because a rich man became poor for us. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor for us. So how do you and I become the type of people who look trouble in the face and say, I'm not going to be afraid? Why should I be afraid? We do this only by looking to Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who paid the ransom for our souls, the one who secures our hope in heaven, the one who sends us the Holy Spirit to be a helper, to convict us of sin, to convict us of righteousness, to show us the ways in which we don't even know that we're broken, but also to show us the ways in which we don't even realize how loved we are. Normally at this point in the service, we would have uh, people up here to pray, but if you're watching on the live stream, um, I wanna encourage you to hop over to our website. Okay, it's vineyardrichmond.com. In this corner down here, you're going to see a little green button that says chat. And listen, I know what you're probably thinking. It's a button on a website. How can that be real? But I know the people that are praying with you, okay? We want to pray with you. Please take advantage of that. If you're here in the building with us, um, these doors out here to your right, there are a couple of uh, wooden tables that say prayer station on them. There are people behind behind them that would love to pray with you. We won't put our hands on you if you're not comfortable with that. We'll keep it safe, all of that. But whatever you're going through today, if you're tired, if you're stressed, if you're afraid, if you're feeling like you're not enough, if you're feeling ashamed, if you don't know how to connect what you know to be true about God to how you live, we want to pray with you about that. There's nothing too big. There's nothing too small to take to God in prayer this morning. And we would love the opportunity to do that with you. Because of what Jesus did, we can live a life that's like his. We can stop doing what the world tells us to do. We can feel something so wrong about doing what the world says is right. And we can feel something right about what the world says is wrong. We can be generous. We can be fearless. We can be selfless. We can be confident that if we're harmed, if we're wronged, if people speak ill of us, if we're persecuted for the name of Jesus, that we don't have to respond in kind. We don't have to treat people the way that they treat us. We have a better way to live. And friends, you and I can break the cycle of fear that holds our world captive. We can spread hope in Jesus like wildfire across our world. Knowing that Jesus paid 
the price for the ransom of our souls. And knowing that it's only because of that that we can stand before God and say, or we can, we can look times of trouble in the face and say, I'm not afraid. Why should I be afraid? So wherever you are, if you're tuning in on the live stream or if you're here with us, we're just gonna take a minute to worship. I wanna invite you, I wanna encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to come, to convict you of sin and of righteousness, to show you how loved you are. Whatever you're going through, we're gonna worship together and we're gonna start at the foot of the cross.